Amen. Thanks. I was going to suggest before I was interrupted. Um, <laughs> some of you guys have been watching these fix-it shows on TV, and you know you think it'd be nice to just be able to knock out a wall and put some drywall in or fix something at your house. And Pedro Gallus is a great way to learn to do that. Go down there with Lyndon. If you can't afford to hire someone like Lyndon to come work on your house, just go down there and work with him a couple times. Learn at the, at the Mexican's expense. And, and then you can come back. You'll have it down pretty good when you do it on your own house. So think of it as construction training as well as ministry. All right. Hey, turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. On Sunday mornings, we're going through the book of Galatians. It's been a great time, a little slower than I planned, just chipping away a few verses a week, but it's just good stuff. Galatians chapter 1, Paul writing to the Galatians, builds a big case for the fact that Christianity is about a relationship with the God who gave his son to die for you and he rose from the dead. He says the good news is that that's it, he did it all. The good news is you don't have to do anything. But he warns the Galatians about the propensity that we humans have to design our own religion, to make up rules or to take rules that God gives and then make them more complicated, more complex, and somehow use them in a way that turns Christianity into a bunch of do's and don'ts. And Paul warns them, if you do that, you'll miss the good news. Because if it's about man-made religion, that's usually bad news. If it's about following rules, that's bad news because we can't follow the rules. But he emphasizes, shares his testimony about the fact that he received what he received from Jesus Christ. And how each of us needs to be individually related to him. Now as we came into chapter 2, we saw that when you have a faith that is very individualistic, that's very personal. Quite often, people disagree and have differences, and this becomes a problem within our families, with our friends, in our churches, between churches, and it's just a, a fact of life. See, if you make a man-made religion, unity is easy, because here are the rules, here's the rule book. If you follow the rules, we'll get along fine. If you don't follow the rules, we'll kick you out. Well, that works pretty well. But when you tell people that you have been set free by Jesus Christ, that he died for you, paid the penalty for your sins, and now he just wants to know you. You don't have to be anything or do anything. You have to realize what he has done, that Christianity is not what you can do to get to God, but it's what God did to get to you. When that happens, all of a sudden, we each experience God in individual ways, and sometimes we disagree. And here in chapter 2, we see several examples of situations where there were those disagreements. Paul talks about there was a misunderstanding between him and the leaders in Jerusalem. They heard third-hand things that he was supposedly saying, and so he came down there. The story is recorded in Acts chapter 15. The first thing he did is get some of the people that he really had respect for, and he sat down with them and he told them what he had been teaching. He explained himself. A lot of the differences that we have with others are just because we haven't gone to the trouble of explaining ourselves personally, sitting down face to face and talking privately. And so he explains, hey, that's one way he dealt with it. 
But there were some other people there too, as we saw a couple of weeks ago. Those guys were just out to rip them off, to take away from him the, the freedom that was in Christ. They were interested in controlling him making him teach what they felt comfortable with. And for those people who just wanted to cause trouble, he said, I didn't even give them an hour of my time. I didn't waste my time. Now, with the apostles and the leaders there who, it was a real misunderstanding. Yeah, I sat down with them and we worked through it. But there were some people I didn't waste my time with. And so for us, there are some people that if we would just bother talking to them, we might be able to work out a lot of things that tend to divide us. But with other people, it's a waste of time. And God has to show us which people are which. Then last week, we looked at the difference between different callings to different ministries. And he said they ultimately came to the conclusion that, you know, Paul, you're going to be different than we are. Because you are called to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Peter, in the same sort of way, has been called in particular to reach the Jews. Now, James was called to minister to the Jewish Christians there in Jerusalem. Peter was called to reach the Jews who were scattered throughout the kingdom, the diaspora, as they're called, those who are dispersed. But Paul was called to minister to Gentiles. As a result, their ministries, their emphasis, it was going to be different. And so in that case, they agreed to accept each other with their respective callings, and they extended the right hand of fellowship and just said, hey, you guys do what God has called you to do, and we'll do what God has called us to do. And that's a third way of dealing with differences. But here, beginning with verse 11, we see a fourth type of difference. And this is a case where, well, in this case, somebody had to speak up. And they had to do it publicly. And they had to do it clearly because Paul saw something going on with Peter as Peter was there visiting in Antioch and he said, this needs to be addressed. This is important. And so as we read beginning with verse 11, now when Peter had come to Antioch, you might remember Antioch was an area up there in Asia Minor, present day Turkey, quite a bit north of Israel. Paul was focusing a lot of his attention up there. The church was booming up there among the Gentiles. And so Peter, obviously, after the uh, Acts 15 church council where Peter stuck up for Paul, now he wanted to go up and see it for himself. Later on, Peter spent quite a bit of time up in Antioch ministering to the Jews there. But anyway, Peter had come to Antioch from Jerusalem, and Paul said, I withstood him to his face. Because he was to be blamed, literally he was judged, he was busted. For before certain men came from James, there were these Jewish Christians who James had either sent or they came kind of representing him, who came up to Antioch. So a whole group of very Jewish Christians had come. Before they came, it said, Peter would eat with the Gentiles. In other words, he ate the stuff they ate, non-kosher hot dogs bacon, sausage, things like that. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews, the Jewish Christians who were up there in Antioch, who were locals, also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Verse 14, but when I saw that they were not straightforward, the Greek word there is arthropod, Pod is your foot, and ortho is straight, and it's the idea that they weren't walking straight. When I saw that they weren't straightforward about the truth of the gospel, 
I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? The rest of the chapter is the rest of Paul's response. We'll look at it over the next few weeks. But here we have this interesting story. Strange event that's hard for us even to accept that something like this could happen among apostles. We would say to Paul, why didn't you just talk to him privately? You had done that before and it worked. And yet clearly here this case is a little bit different. Needed to be addressed publicly so that we could learn from it and so that they could learn from it as well. But what happened is Peter had come up there to Antioch. And he was enjoying the freedom. You might remember in Acts chapter 10 when Peter had this vision and a, a sheet came down from heaven full of all kinds of food that Jews weren't supposed to eat. Again, bacon and cheese sandwiches and, and uh, you know, just a good Derwiner schnitzel hot dog. Not that healthy turkey one, just a, a good one that you don't even know what's in it. And sausage that's all well done and spicy and all this stuff is coming down. And God said to Peter, eat the stuff. Peter said something that he had a tendency of saying, kind of a funny response, not so, Lord. If you're Lord, why are you saying not so? He said the same thing when Jesus told him he was going to have to die. Not so, Lord. But he's going, God, I'm not going to do this. I haven't eaten any of this stuff ever. I've never experienced it. I've lived by the rules of Judaism. Today, there are strict requirements of food among so many of the Jews. If one of the things that, I mean, I'm looking forward to going to Israel, and I, and I love Israel. It's a great opportunity to learn so much as you're there, and we're going in June. But the one thing I don't like about Israel, no pepperoni pizza. It just really makes me mad. I mean, you, you can't even get some Arab to make you a pepperoni pizza. And the reason is that condition in the law that said don't boil a goat in its mother's milk. And they took from that the idea that you can't mix meat and dairy. Well, to me, a pizza, you know, yeah, you can get a decent cheese pizza over there, but a pizza without pepperoni, it's, you know, it's just not natural. And <laughs> but they had all these rules, and Peter had them, and the Lord told him, eat it. He goes, oh, I can't. And God said, listen, I'm telling you it's clean. If I tell you to eat it, you eat it. Don't you worry about your rules and your traditions. And what God was doing was setting Peter up to that visit from Cornelius, the Gentile who, who loved God, wanted more of God. And Cornelius ended up hosting Peter at his home. And as Peter began to share with them the simplicity of the gospel, that it's just Jesus died for the world, not just for the Jews. And as he was preaching, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit came upon the Christians there in Cornelius' house. And after that, in Acts chapter 15, Peter was the first one to stand up for Paul and to say, look, I've seen it. Jesus Christ wants to save Gentiles and they don't have to become Jewish to do it. I saw the Holy Spirit fall on them. They weren't following the law. They hadn't been circumcised. But the Holy Spirit came to confirm, no, I'm doing a different thing among the Gentiles. So Peter had witnessed that, and somewhere along the line, he kind of developed a taste for bacon, I guess. And so here he is in Antioch, and when he's with the Gentiles, hey, this is great. We're eating. But now here come these deeply religious, very Jewish Christians from Jerusalem. 
And when they came, Peter all of a sudden goes, oh, who put this bacon in front of me? Get out of here. I'm not going to eat this stuff. He became a phony, became a hypocrite. And not only that, he led other people to do the same. Even Barnabas got sucked in by this act. That word hypocrite that's used here, the, Greek used, the Greeks used that word a lot. It was a word that referred to an actor, somebody who was up on stage, playing a part, wearing a mask. In fact, there are some early church fathers who had such a hard time with this passage that they came to the conclusion, John Chrysostom was one of them, who said that what Peter was actually doing, and Paul and Barnabas, they were putting on a play, a skit. This was just all set up to teach these lessons that they wanted to teach because of the word hypocrite being used a couple times, and they couldn't stomach the idea that maybe the first pope could have been a hypocrite at times. But here it's clear to me when I read it, these guys were just caught up and being phonies. But what happened is, the result was there in verse 12, they withdrew and separated themselves. And they kind of got together, turning their backs on these new Gentile Christians, turning their backs on maybe people who hadn't been saved yet, but they were Gentiles and they were there listening, and instead saying, you know what, now that the real spiritual people are here, we're going to link arms with them. We're going to play their game hypocritically, doing one thing with one group of people, another thing with another group of people. Now, as we see what they did, you wonder, well, guy, I mean, maybe they just didn't want to offend those Jews who came up from Jerusalem. Paul talks about how he was willing to be flexible with different groups of people. There in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul said, hey, to the Jews, I become as a Jew. To the Gentiles I become as a Gentile. I have become all things to all men that by all means I may save some. And his approach there was, hey, I consider my audience and, and I try not to do things that will cause them to stumble. I try to reach out to them and relate to them on their level. And often we could see this situation with Peter and Barnabas and go, well, that's all they were doing. I mean, those Jews from Jerusalem would be shocked to see these Jewish Christians eating this stuff. And so, since it would stumble them, isn't it the right thing to do to go, you know, because they're here, let's just not exercise our liberty? Well, there's a huge difference between what Paul was talking about. There isn't a consistency at all. Paul's approach in 1 Corinthians 9 is completely different than Peter's approach here. As, as we'll see as we look into it a little bit more. So that's what they did. Now, why did he do it? Why did Peter and Barnabas and these other guys get sucked in? It tells us there in verse 12. Obviously, these people from Jerusalem had come, but the reason they separated themselves is because they were fearing those who were of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with them. So they were all caught up with, oh no, I don't want to offend these people. Now I think that so often we are way too worried about what people think of us and way too worried about offending people. I, it's refreshing when there's someone who will be honest enough to offend me sometimes. I appreciate that. But here's the difference between 1 Corinthians 9 and this situation here. And this is something that's vital for us to understand. The problem is they were worried about the wrong people. 
what Peter and Barnabas and these other guys were, they were afraid they were going to offend the religious people, the mature Christians, if you will. And as a result, they withdrew themselves from the one who needed them the most. It's amazing to me how often people are afraid to exhibit certain behavior when they're in my presence because I'm a pastor. It's kind of silly, really, but sort of amusing. I'll meet someone and we'll start talking and next thing you know, they're using foul language and they're saying all sorts of inappropriate sorts of things and I'm just waiting for when they say, so where do you work? And then I tell them, oh, I'm a pastor. And the look on their face is just, oh no, I'm going to hell. You know, the sky's going to tell God on me and it's probably shattered him and ruined him and nothing, the opposite should be true. Hey, when we become mature Christians, we shouldn't be so sensitive. We shouldn't feel like people need to accommodate us. Hey, if you want to accommodate somebody, accommodate that new Christian or that person who isn't even a Christian yet. I believe that as Christians, one of the biggest uh, stumbling blocks that we have in life is that we're worried about impressing the wrong people. And we're so afraid that we're going to offend some person who's more mature than we are. We should never want to stumble anyone. And Paul said, hey, if eating meat stumbles people, then I won't eat meat. But he wasn't talking about offending the religious. He wasn't talking about offending those who are mature in the Lord. And you know, so often I find that that becomes our focus. I don't want to offend a religious person. Now let's say you're doing something that you think is... You feel bad about it. You'd rather not do it. Let's say you're using a bad word. Something happens and boom, this bad word comes out. And then you turn around and you had no idea there's someone standing there and heard you say it. Who would you rather have that person be? A non-Christian that you know pretty well? That might be embarrassing. You've been witnessing to them and they hear you say that word. Or would you rather have it be your pastor? (gasps) I've seen that look on your faces sometimes when I walk into a restaurant and and you have a glass of champagne and you're like, oh no, you know, I just ruined my meal. Why? What what difference does it make what I think? We had had dinner with some friends recently. There was a formal um, public affair where I had to go and say the prayer. And uh, we were sitting, we were arranged to sit at a table with some friends who are Christians, you know, dear friends. But there was talk among the wives that, they were kind of worried because at this dinner, they, they felt like they wanted to have a glass of champagne, so it was a big event, and they had some other friends with them that they had been witnessing to, but they were afraid that if Ann and I were sitting there, they couldn't have a glass of champagne. And I, you know, at first I thought I should milk this, all it's worth, but <laughs> then I thought, what's wrong with this picture? And why is it that somebody thinks somehow they need to alter their behavior because I am there? That's horrible. I hate that. I don't want people to have to act a certain way because of me. Why? Because I'm a mature Christian. There isn't one of you that if I see you out doing something that I might not want to do, that it's going to shatter my faith to see you doing it. It's okay. You're free. God, you know, we build up this phony religion where it's like, okay, ooh, there are certain words that Christians don't use. Now, because I don't want to stumble people, I don't use bad words. You probably won't hear me ever saying a cuss word. But at the same time, why is a cuss word such a bad thing? Why is it that if you hear somebody say a cuss word, you assume they're not a Christian? What is, 
they could use, a, a, words are just symbols. They could use another word that means the same thing and you'd be totally fine with it. So how does this happen? It happens, guys, because we make up our own religion. We decide certain things. Why is smoking such a non-Christian thing to do and overeating something we do every time we get together as a body? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's just because that's the rule. That's why. But see, what was happening with these guys here, they were deciding, I'm going to live my life trying to impress the people that are religious. But what did they do ultimately? They separated and isolated themselves from the people they were really called to minister to. Now, please, don't take from this the idea that I'm saying, go out and drink with some people down at the Cheers bar and everybody knows your name and it'll be, you know, I'm not telling you what to do. But what I'm telling you is if the reason that you're doing or not doing things because of the rules, because you're afraid of what other Christians would think of you, you might be doing the right thing, but you're doing it for the wrong reason. And as a result, sending that attitude out is what causes non-Christians to stay non-Christians. Because they believe that becoming a Christian means joining this exclusive club where you have to worry about everything that you say and do. That if something's too funny, it must be bad. If something is rather harsh or offensive, oh, we wouldn't do that. And you live your life peeking out of the corner of your eye hoping the pastor doesn't show up. Or feeling like, I just can't do this. I can't play this game. Who are you afraid of? And what are you afraid of offending them about? And it tells you a lot about whether your eyes are focused in the right direction or not. And so Peter was a hypocrite. The reason that he was, was because he was trying to impress the wrong people. He was worried about stumbling people that if they get stumbled, it'll only cause them to have to deal with themselves. But it, as a result, he was separating himself from the people that he was called to reach. They wouldn't dream of being close because he realized there's a line that was drawn. That word for separated, again, the word is the root from the word that they got Pharisee. A Pharisee was someone who drew a line around himself. But what Paul tells us over in Galatians chapter 1 is that when we were saved, God drew a line around us. And he said, you're mine. But let God draw the line. Don't draw it yourself and don't play games. Don't be a phony. Don't worry about who you are going to impress. You know, we sit and think, oh man, I'd love to go buy a lottery ticket just for fun or I'd love to go drop a quarter in a, in a slot machine at Las Vegas. But we think, but what if a Christian saw me there? They'd probably really judge me for it. But you don't think anything of dropping 70, 80 grand on a car, you know, that's going to be worth 50 the next day? It's like, listen, do, is this, do we really want to start drawing lines, making rules, playing that game? I don't think somebody should judge you because you drop a quarter in a machine. I don't think somebody should judge you because you make a 70, pay 70,000 bucks for a car. What I believe is that we need to have our eyes on the people that God has called us to minister to. And we need to make sure that all of these little scruples and all of these little decisions and values that we don't include those in our Christianity like it's a total pile. Hey, you know, if you want to do certain things and you feel liberty to do them, fine. I personally have a liberty to do all sorts of things I don't do. And I'll be honest with you, there are certain things that I think are probably fine to do, but if I did them, I realize, you know, most people would leave the church. 
you know, and, and some of them involve language. It's, you know, some of these words that I would never dream of saying, and I don't say them, and I don't even say them in my head. You know, some of them are, are just juvenile. It's just a lack of a, of a proper vocabulary to learn how you say what you say. But some of them sometimes, frankly, are somewhat descriptive in a way that says something that might not be said any other way. But we go, well, you know, I can't. I know, I'll be like Gene Scott sitting up here in a big chair puffing on it. It's like, oh, the only people who listen to me will be some kind of nuts. But at the same time, <laughs> but then again, I can have a church after I die. That would be good. But I remember one time at the school over at Calvary, there was a boy in our school who had was handicapped fairly severely from being run over by a truck and kids would pick on him and there was one boy who was calling him names and saying mean things to him and so a girl in the school saw it and stuck up for him and called this guy a bad word, a word that refers to a certain part of the anatomy. And so I called her into the office with her parents and we sat down. Her dad was a pastor there at the time and, and I said, Kim's comment that she made the other day, though accurate, was inappropriate. <laughs> Sometimes that's true. Now, I don't take that and go, Dave's given me license to cuss people out. Or, no, all I'm saying is, don't major on stupid little things. And don't let your Christianity become, here's my lifestyle. Hey, you can't invent your own culture and then say it's Christianity. Christianity is, if you say something that you shouldn't, Jesus died for it already. He's forgiven you. Can you handle that? If you can't, then you don't understand the gospel. For these people here in this circumstance, in this situation, they, they were afraid of the wrong things, and therefore their behavior was wrong. And you go, well, then why is it a big deal? We saw what they did. We saw why they did it. Why is this such a big deal? Why are we spending this much time in this passage? Well, again, as we read down, after being carried away with hypocrisy in verses 12 and 13, Paul said, when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, and he went ahead and began his comments to Peter. So why did Paul get so upset? Why did he, was it just because, hey, you didn't finish your sandwich? Get back here and do it. Or was it even because, hey, you're afraid of these religious people and you shouldn't be? No, it's not that. His whole point is, and why he brought the story up is, they veered away from the straightforwardness of the gospel. That is, you are sending a mixed message by being a phony that tells people, and as he goes on there in verse 14, he says, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? That's a fancy way of saying, you're expecting them to do something that you don't even do yourself. Jesus told the Pharisees, you lay a burden on the people that you yourself aren't willing to bear. And so Paul, the reason it's a big deal is he goes, man, it's not about these people or these people, it's about the gospel. Are you going to send a message that's going to distort the gospel? Now, there are a lot of good reasons to not be religious, there are a lot of good reasons to not just live by rules. One of them is you can't follow the rules. Another one is we can't agree on the rules. Another one is it makes people think that Christianity is something that's not achievable for them. But the biggest problem with 
human religion, the biggest error that's involved is it takes the simple gospel and it turns it off track. It, it's no longer the straight gospel. It's, hey, good news, man. Jesus died for you, rose from the dead. You can be set free from your sin. You can get a fresh start. You can be forgiven. And then, once you do that, come here. We got some more stuff we need to tell you you need to do. That habit that you have, I think it's time you quit. Those things you said, can't say them if you're a Christian. See, I'm not judging you. I'm just being a fruit inspector, and I'm just telling you, no, no, no. Hey, the gospel gets lost in the shuffle when that happens. The glorious thing is if we stick with the truth of the grace of God, if we continue to adhere to the tenets of the gospel, God has a way of changing us in areas that we wouldn't have anticipated. Oh, instead, we can go by our checklist of all the things Christians aren't supposed to do. But the truth is God may have a different checklist for each one of us. And he does it by putting his law in our heart. By causing us, our desires just change. The reason why Christianity becomes such a religion, the reason why we have such a hierarchy of power and why we have such a, a, a hard and fast set of rules is that those rules make some of us look pretty good. I don't smoke. I don't drink. Can't dance. Don't go to movies. Don't really cuss. Don't cheat on my wife. I'm doing pretty good. So I'm pretty comfortable with that set of rules. But the problem is, that's not the gospel. A lot of the things that are on that list, some of those things, as you get older, you just don't have the energy <laughs> or the opportunity. And so now here I am, an old guy who's really holy. Holy isn't the lack of something. Holy is the presence of something. It's being whole. It's being complete. And us old fogey Christians who have been Christians long enough to learn all the rules and conform to all of them and drop all of the notable habits and adapt the habits that are acceptable for Christians, we need to realize, wait a minute, let's get back to the gospel. We are sending mixed messages to people. We are giving people the notion and the idea that Christianity means act like me. And if it's phony, so much the better. That's faith. It's doing what you can't see. Pretend like you're this way. See, but the truth is, the good news is, you don't have to be phony. You don't have to cover up. You don't have to play games. You don't have to wear a mask. You don't have to be on a stage. Because whatever it is, let somebody else worry about whether you ought to do this or you ought to do that. You go, ooh, I paid more than 70000 for a car. Is that kind of the magic line? Is 60 okay? Is 40? Is 30? Is What kind of a... It doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point is you stick with the truth. The truth is God's Holy Spirit, if we give our lives to Him, lives inside us. And He might tell you that a, a million-dollar car is fine for you. And that better be okay with me. You better just give me a ride in it. But at the same time, God may tell me something different. But Christianity is not what habits you have, what conduct you have, what sorts of rules you follow. Christianity always has to boil back to the good news, the gospel. And then there's no reason for us to divide because if I don't think you ought to do what you're doing, I don't like the way you vote, or I don't like what seems to be important to you, it doesn't matter because Jesus has already forgiven you.
He's taken, tr taken care of it. And when you see things in me that you don't like, come and tell me if there's anything I do that's offensive to you that Jesus didn't die for. And we'll talk about it. But see, it's the gospel. And when you twist the gospel, that's when Paul gets really mad. Because it's a big deal. Everything that we believe and the answer to every question we have is hanging on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we start to be phonies and we pretend to be something that we aren't and we worry about the wrong people and we place expectations and we draw pictures of Christianity that aren't the gospel, then ultimately we're going astray. And Paul would say, hey, we need to deal with this and we need to deal with it right now. There's a lesson in here for us in a lot of ways. And one of them is, it's amazing that Peter, and a lot of people like to bag on Peter because he denied Christ and he was always popping up his mouth in situations where he shouldn't have. But the truth is, man, Peter's a hero. He had the kind of boldness that most people didn't have. When everyone else was shirking away, he pulls out a sword and tries to hack Malchus's head off. Miss, not much of a swordsman, took his ear off. But He's a guy, he was a man's man. He was an amazing dude who was with Jesus all along, got up on the day of Pentecost and preached, went to that council in Acts 15 and was the first one to speak up in defense of the Gentiles even though he was an apostle to the Jews. Peter was an amazing guy and yet Paul had no problem confronting him personally and openly. Paul tells us over in 1 Timothy 5 that if an elder gets out of line and you have two or three witnesses, confront him do that publicly so that everyone's going to know. Nowadays, we're so sensitive. We're so afraid. Let's just do everything behind the scenes and people never learn. Sometimes there is a time, and especially when it has to do with the nature of the gospel and the hypocrisy of those who are sharing it, you need to say something. You need to speak up. And certainly Paul would have been seen in terms of hierarchy as being subservient to Peter. If anyone was going to pull that, you know, apostle card, it could be Peter because he was personally commissioned by Jesus before Jesus ascended into heaven. He spent three years living with him. He had it down. He was an important guy. And yet Paul, who was a Johnny-come-lately apostle, had no problem. And, and Peter had no problem receiving it from him. You find out later in Second Peter that Peter talks about Paul in very glowing terms, says he loved him, referred to Paul's writings as being scripture inspired by God. And yet it was okay for him to be questioned by Paul. And it was okay for Paul to speak up when he was outnumbered. Because Peter was not only going astray and hurting those new Christians and those non-Christians, but he was pulling the other Christians off with him, caught up in hypocrisy. And though Paul at this point pretty much stood alone, he spoke up loud and clear, hey, this isn't right, this is hypocritical. May God help us if we ever get to the point where no one can tell us that we're looking foolish or that we're being hypocritical. I hope each of you has someone, maybe several people, who care enough about you and who are, you're confident enough in their friendship that they can tell you anything that they can come and present to you, you know, maybe it's a blind spot, but sometimes when you do this, here's how it looks. I have a lot of people who do that for me, and I'm always grateful that they do. I have other people who are afraid to come talk to me about things if they're hurt or if they're offended by something that I say. 
And I always feel bad, and I feel like that's my fault. If I'm the kind of person that makes people feel like, oh, you know, better back off. Dave will bring lightning from heaven on me if I say something. Hey, that's what friends are for. That's what the body is supposed to do. And Paul faithfully stood up and goes, I'm not going to write you an anonymous email. I'm just going to come right to your face, and I'm going to go, hey, Peter, this is looking bad, and here's why. Remember the gospel. Look what you're doing. This looks hypocritical. This isn't right. And what a mess we can get into if we insulate ourselves so much that no one can do that for us, that no one can speak up to us. No one is above this. In fact, we all need that kind of friendship desperately in our lives. It's being a faithful servant of God that causes us to do this. Sometimes we don't do it in the right way. Sometimes it's kind of messy. And like you, almost every time someone comes to correct me, I don't want to hear it at first. But after I sit and pray about it and think about it for a while, maybe even after I've defended myself, then I realize, wow, you know, you're right. There is something there. And then I have a choice. I can pick away at the little things that you said that aren't right, or I can go to the Lord and repent and just say, hey, here's the deal, and go back to the person and say, thanks for sharing that. That means a lot to me. That's the way it's supposed to work. Now, so often I believe that we've developed more of a religion than, than the true gospel relationship with Jesus Christ. And the fruit of that is we get holier and holier and we become more and more separated from the people that we're called to minister to and to reach. We send a, a, a mixed message, a wrong message, and we're laying expectations on people that we can't even keep for ourselves. And when that happens, it's sad. When that happens, it's destructive. Jesus was called the friend of sinners. When they wanted to criticize Jesus... They said, look at how much sinners like him. That ought to tell you something. All of his fans are sinners. All the prostitutes and tax collectors, crooks and thieves and slimy, smelly fishermen and lepers. And look, they're all drawn to Jesus. He's a friend of sinners. Something that haunts me on almost a daily basis is the fact that nobody's accusing us of that today. The church of Jesus Christ. Are people saying, look, they're friends of sinners? No, in fact, the church has more of a reputation of being the enemy of sinners, of being a place they don't want to go. Something has been turned upside down. And if we don't get back to the heart of Jesus and the heart of the gospel, then the church won't be a light to the world. It'll just be a little holy club where we stay here in a perpetual huddle, never getting out on the field, never seeing God use us. It's just... It's become a religion. And it's time for us to turn that around and get back to the gospel, the straightforward gospel that we're not going to sit and argue about sin because it's been forgiven. It's been taken care of. What we need to focus on is you've been set free by Jesus Christ. He gives you a fresh start. And it's not a club that you join. It's not a contract that you sign. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's receiving from God, that glorious truth of the gospel. And that, you guys, is attractive. That is something that should suck in people from the world. People who are broken, people who have destroyed their own lives by bad decisions that they've made. Their own foolish path has led them to such destruction. And they ought to realize when they see us, 
hey, there's a place where you can go. There's a harbor where you can sail in there and feel safe and protected and secure. There's a God who loves you so much that his son died for you. And I don't care what you've done. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. Not some, not certain ones. And it's not a teamwork thing where God does his part and now, boy, we better get busy. It's done, finished, it's over. That's what Jesus said on the cross, te telestai. And anything that we add to that is going to stumble the wrong people. We will grow in favor and status with religious circles. And we will separate and lose our contact with the people that Jesus died for, that we are left on this planet to reach them. We're going to see ourselves drifting further and further away from them because the rules that we, that we follow and the, and the standards that we make up and the message that we send is a message that separates. And that kills the gospel. Oh, I'm not saying, let's just go do a bunch of sin. No. If you really understand the gospel, God will change you from within. You won't even be thinking about it, and it'll just happen. But may God help us to never act a certain way because we're worried about what other Christians will think. That's focusing our attention in the wrong direction. And that creates a man-made religion that separates and ultimately that will kill a lot of people who would love to believe that their sins can be forgiven. They just don't want to be like us. They don't think they can be like us. The gospel is they are like us. But there is another. There's God, Jesus Christ, in the flesh, who came and paid for their sins. When that message gets polluted by man-made religion, there's no real reason for us to be here. There's no reason for God to have left us here. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for the gospel. Because the truth is, it's the only reason any of us can still stand. It's the only reason we have life. God, forgive us for propagating the myth that somehow it's when we cleaned up our act that you really started working in our lives. God, act is the right word. The best righteousness we can put out there is all an act. It's a game, and we admit it. And we're afraid of the wrong people. Lord, may you help us to live in the simplicity of the gospel. And may your love work through our lives in a way that's contagious. That people could see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven as we reach out to them with your love. Not that they would see our piety. Not that they would see our exclusiveness. Not that they would see all of our standards. But that they would see your heart. That heart of love for people who are lost. Oh God, we're so sorry for helping you out. We have really botched it up. We've made something that isn't you. Help us to tear that down and to stick with the purity of the gospel. And Lord, I pray that when we fall into hypocrisy, you will bring brothers and sisters along who question us. Even if they're kind of annoying in the way they do it, help us to hear that phony alarm going off and to get back 
to the truth, back to the good news, back to the straight gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.